This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. All right. So October's book, I can't believe it's already November, but October's book was Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Uh, Initially, I was worried that I wasn't going to finish it, and then I read it so fast. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, you really did. I'm not good at reading fiction books at all. Um, But yeah, for some reason, I just really wanted to get through this book and see what was going to happen with everything. Um, So yeah, I enjoyed the book. I do find it very different to talk about for this podcast episode, just because when we're doing a nonfiction book, usually it kind of like it makes me think and it makes me reflect and it makes me you know, think about things in my own life and how it can relate to like motherhood or whatever it is. And so with this book, I just found like it didn't make me think so much at all. It was just more like entertainment, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, there were interesting topics. um, And I tried to watch the TV show because everyone says it's so amazing and I got through two episodes and then I just found it too slow and boring. Um, that's my own problem. I have like attention span problems when it comes to TV shows. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but Jen read the book twice, I think, and she also watched the TV show. So what were your thoughts about the book? And I guess in contrast to the TV show as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually, so to be honest, I didn't fully read it the second time through because I read it like a long time ago, then watched the show. And then I read most of it like again this time around, but um, sometimes I can read a book twice and sometimes I can. And in this case, I think because I'd also watched the TV show, I was just a little bit like, okay, I knew exactly what was going to happen. It was a little bit interesting to read it mostly through for the second time after seeing the TV show, because then I was able to kind of compare and contrast a little bit like differently or I saw the show in a different light I guess rereading the book but I think it's funny when you're saying that you know reading a a fiction book doesn't make you think the same way as a non-fiction which I think is probably true for a lot of people I like to read both I'm I, I don't know if that's unique or not but I generally read a fiction and a non-fiction at the same time but whenever I read fiction I still like very critically analyze the book. And I feel like it, it brings out this sense of like empathy for me. So when you are saying, you know, I like to read content in terms of like motherhood, when I was reading this book, like that's all I could think about. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, Renee's going to have so much to talk about because this whole (laughs) book is just about motherhood. (laughs) And like the struggles between like being a working mom and like wanting to be perfect and raise this perfect family, but go back to work or the struggles of not having enough money, but needing to like still support your child. So it's funny when you say you're reading and you're just like, oh, like it was good. Like I just read it. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like there are topics in it that, yeah, are important and are related to motherhood and are like, you know, these widespread issues. But when I'm 
reading it, I'm reading it as if I'm watching a TV show. Like, it's strange. It's not like, like they're just characters to me. Mm -hmm. So I I really don't go any further into it at all. Like, it's it's funny. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because I read a lot, but I tend to think that like fiction helps create this sense of like empathy or social awareness in us. But that also could just be me. Like I maybe think everyone reads books the same way that I do, but obviously that's not true. Um, so I think almost like most books that I read, I tend to, to, to pull out the themes and I'll, I'll still go into that Google rabbit hole sometimes when I'm reading a book, even if it's fiction, cause I'll read something that I was like, Oh, is this a, a true story? Like Shaker Heights, this, the town that this book is based on is a real place. So of course I go down that Google rabbit hole. So I think I probably read fiction books differently than most people will. Cause I want to try to like pull out as much of that, uh, finer details as I can because I'm like I tend to think that like the more we read whether it's fiction or nonfiction, really can increase our emotional intelligence and our connections with other people but that's because I'm a turbo nerd so (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because it's it's so funny because the last book that we read was Mom Truths by Kat Mm -hmm. and and you know it was very like just kind of fluff like surface level stuff and I was still like underlining stuff like yep yep like this and like like thinking about it and this has much more like serious topics in it but I had zero zero thoughts (laughs) like none um so yeah it's funny like yeah that's an interesting thing to think about yeah I don't disagree with you when you said though that the show was slow and I actually think that maybe if you read the reviews I think that's one of the the critical like I really did enjoy the show I also really like Carrie Washington and I like Reese Witherspoon and everyone else in the show was also great as well but I think uh one of the major criticisms of the show is that it's slower paced and so you you do kind of have to invest the time per episode and not a ton happens but I still zipped through it I actually really enjoyed it I think that they they cast really good uh, people to play each character Uh, and the differences that they did make in the show from the book, I think were great choices. I think sometimes like shows or movies don't represent the book. um, uh, Or I often enjoyed the book more than the show or the movie, but in this case, I think I maybe enjoyed the show more than the book kind of rare for that to happen. Yeah. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. 
This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestion available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. I know a lot of people because I got messages on my Instagram and everyone seemed to love the TV show. So I think I also had these really high expectations of it. And then I was just, I just found it a little bit slow. Um... So what Jen and I did was we pulled up an article that is basically a reading guide for book clubs that, you know, read this book. And we chose some of the questions that they had listed and decided that we would just chat about those questions for this episode. Um, So Jen, do you have the questions in front of you? Can you read the first one? Yeah. So it says... You could say that the story begins with the ending. Within the first paragraph, we learn that a house has burnt down and that the town is divided over the identity of a child. Why do you think that Celeste structured the opening this way? How do you think it affects your journey through the story? For me, and I'm not a big fiction reader, but for me, it made me like as the story was happening after like that first part I was like okay like what happens to lead to that so that was always in the back of my mind and Mm -hmm. that's probably why I read the story so fast Mm -hmm. because it it was just kind of like 
a shock at first and mm-hmm. then it gets into like these mon- not mundane but like just very like boring everyday kind of characters and mm-hmm. you know the perfect little community and in my mind I'm like okay something like obviously shit's gonna hit the fan and so I just like wanted to keep reading mm-hmm. so it probably definitely affected uh like how fast I read the book and that I finished it probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what you just said. I th- I love when books start with the ending because it captivates you right away. Or I think maybe for some people, like, oh, this isn't actually, I'm not so interested in this. And maybe then it's like, you don't have to go along for the journey. You can kind of choose not to. But I love I, I think it's suspenseful the way she did it, whereas a lot of the characters are introduced. You learn that Izzy, you're like, who is this Izzy character? Did she just light her family's house on fire? I'm not sure. Uh, and it really wants, it gets you interested in in finding out why this event ended up happening. Something I actually used to do, I do not do it anymore, but when I was younger, I always said this, I always read the last chapter of a book first. I wanted to know how it would end and then I could build up the characters to that ending I, I don't do it anymore because in a few instances it just really uh it told too much in the ending and then there was no excitement throughout the book so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but so whenever a book starts this way I get very excited because I really it gets me more invested in the characters right from the get-go so I like that she started her book that way yeah next question All right, next question. For much of the story, Elena's daughter Izzy and at times Lexi feels more comfortable at Mia's house. On the other hand, Pearl, Mia's daughter, feels more comfortable at the Richardson's house. Which is more surprising to you? How do the mother-daughter dynamics play a role in the girl's feelings? So I was thinking about this question and to me, neither is really surprising because each child or like the kids are getting what they don't have at the other house so I think Pearl is just kind of mesmerized by you know all the stuff that the Richardsons have like their beautiful house like the big tv and comfy couches like to just relax and eat snacks and do whatever they want um and then she knows that she has that like mother figure caring like relationship with her mom at home Mm -hmm. um and then on the other hand same goes for the Richardson kids like they have all the stuff and the big house and that part of their life at home but they don't necessarily have the I guess like the quality interaction with their mom it's very kind Mm -hmm. of um surface level and she just wants everything to be organized and perfect. And so they get that with Mia at Mia and Pearl's house. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that question because it makes sense why mm-hmm. they would feel comfortable at the other house because that's something that they don't have in their house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think, I think everything you said makes sense. And, and for Pearl, I think there's also that sense of security probably at the Richardson's house. So where she, her and Mia traveled all the time and they were constantly moving around. Um, This was like a sense of security and she had instantly had a family or, you know, close friends of 
a family of six, whereas with her mom, I was just her and her mom. And so that's, you know, a, a different reality and a different day to day when you are in a household that's like filled with people versus when it's just your mom who then also works two jobs or three jobs because she's an artist. She was working for the Richardsons and she was working at, at a Chinese food restaurant. So, you know, I think um, they're probably you can see a lot of the connections with why Pearl would want to be there. And then I think it's very interesting that, um, you know, the connection that Izzy then also has with Mia um, because Izzy's like Mrs. Richardson is very, uh, everything has to be planned and everything is perfect and fits into like this, like neat little tidy box. And with Pearl, it's a lot more artistic and adventurous and open and these open conversations and so like you're saying it's easy to see why a child would want to be drawn into that um what i think is interesting about this question too though is like how do the mother daughter dynamics play a role in the girl's feelings so i think that question is interesting because i think you can kind of see it come through with the characters and maybe this is also a little bit more in the show but pearl struggles with almost a feeling of betraying her mom so when she's with the Richardsons and with Elena and her children, I think she gets that sense that she's uh, betraying her mom or that she, you know, she's almost doing wrong by her mom. And, and I think that uh, sometimes the moms have that same feeling, right? When your kids want to spend time with other people, you can feel betrayed and you can feel like, well, I want, I'm going to, I'm going to be the cool mom. Like I can be cool too. I can be fun. I can be exciting. Um, and so we almost got threatened. And I think that's really normal. I think that a lot of people feel threatened when uh, their children probably want to spend more time with others, whether it's friends or a different family or their, their boyfriend. And that, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're losing your children, which I think is also part of adolescence, right? The, the kids in this story, they're not kids, they're preteens and teenagers. And so it's pretty natural for them to want to spend less time with their parents. Um, I'm not a mom. You're, you're not a mom of a, an adolescent yet, <laughs> but I, you know, I was once an adolescent and I remember like there was times where, I mean, I love my parents and I, I I've always loved them. I've always had great relationships, but there were times where it's like, I didn't want to hang out with them like at all, like no way. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's so, funny, like that made me think of just when Milo goes to hug my husband instead of me I'm like Ugh. right like it's the same love, thing love me love me I'm yeah. cool I'm funny yeah one day my mom and I went to go pick up Milo from daycare like last time she was visiting and they're always playing outside so we go to to the side where the the fence is and Milo comes through the fence and runs right to my mom <laughs> instead of me <laughs> I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was wait. so happy. But wait till he's older and it's like, you can't do yeah. anything right. Fuck you, mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. What is question number three? Okay. So it is Little Fires Everywhere takes place in the 1990s. Do you think the story would play out differently now and how? Right. So we talked about this a little bit before we pressed record. And 
And I think the consensus was that it wouldn't so much be any different. I I really don't think it would. I mean, maybe other than the fact that um, I don't know how cell phones would maybe play into that. Maybe, but I think some like I think the struggles that the adults and the the kid like the teenagers were going through in this book. I think that they're the same now. Maybe they wouldn't be watching Jerry Springer. They'd be watching I don't know what what do you watch? Jersey Shore. <laughs> Jersey Shore. No, that's like early two thousand. <laughs> Cabs are here. <laughs> Gym tan laundry. <laughs> I can't even say that loud. Oh shoot. Um, but yeah. So I, I mean, I think like a, I think most of the um, struggles that we see in this book are still relevant twenty years later. Whether we're talking about you know some of the struggles with. Um, being a perfect mom, right? Moms, maybe, and that's even more exaggerated now. So that might even play out differently now, right? If we saw Mrs. Richardson, Richardson on Instagram, can you imagine what that would look like? Right. Um, so I think in terms of having to be this perfect mom who has a perfect household plus goes to work and, um, in the show, you, it's really funny. Like she packs her the kids eat these beautiful breakfast, beautiful breakfast every day. And then she packs like her lunch bag and she has her coffee and like, she's dressed perfectly every single day and that's really like true to her character um and i think a lot of women can probably relate to that or at least with trying to be perfect and trying to do it all and trying to be involved in the school and um run this perfect quote unquote perfect household and then so i think that that's still a struggle today and then some of the other things that where we were talking about in terms of the social economic standings um are the same struggles. This book was written 20 some or based 20 some years ago. um, And some of those struggles are still the same. So BB, you know, being an immigrant and struggling um, and not having the financial means to support herself um, when she then struggles after like in uh, postpartum, she doesn't have the support network to support her. And that would unfortunately that is still true today like that hasn't really changed whether we're looking at the u.s or in canada those struggles are often still there um and then you know the book also has a lot of race components and um throughout some of the the or one part in the book um lexi talks about how in shaker heights they don't see color um and we've, you and I have had this conversation, uh, the world is having this conversation right now where um, we're realizing that we, that can't be true anymore, except for so many of us, we still thought that that was an okay thing, right? It's 2020 and people still are saying, well, I don't see race, I don't see color. Um, we, a lot of us are identifying that that is not the way we should be thinking, but it's not all that different than what we were doing in, in 1997, where this book takes place. Yeah, totally. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. 
We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think like with, is it BB? Mm-hmm. BB, yeah. Mm-hmm. Her her story, like how it would play out today, um, like I don't know. Like I'm trying to think, like if right now, you know, that person existed and was having those struggles, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah, it's really a challenge, and I mean, I think it's different looking at Canada versus the U.S. too. Like our our um our welfare system, not healthcare, welfare, our healthcare systems are, are different and our support networks are, are a little bit different, uh, between the two countries. So it, you know, this book takes place in the U S um, but, and so in, in Canada, I know we do try to, you know, keep parents and children together as much as we can. So, I mean, and I don't, so I don't actually know what would happen if I know because it makes you, it makes you wonder if, you know, if she has like severe, um, like mental issues going on, like postpartum depression, anxiety, um, whatever it it is. And let's say you show up to the emergency room or, you know, a walk-in clinic because you don't have a regular family physician, you barely speak the language. What are they going to do with your child? Yeah if they feel that you're not a safe place, you have no family, you don't have any other like external support to help. Are they just going to send you home like extremely unstable and unable to take care of your child? Like what are they going to do? Yeah. So that, 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 that's kind of what made me think like in the book, she drops off her baby at the fire station and it's like, okay, but now if, alternatively she went and tried to get help what would that have looked like mm-hmm. even today yeah because yeah. i have a feeling 
it would have been a similar situation. Like, I don't know that they would send a newborn or, you know, three-month-old baby home with a completely unstable mother that has zero supports, like zero. Yeah. The, th- the thing that I don't know, though, in terms of Canada and U.S. as well, um, is in terms of adoption. So in the book, uh, Mei Ling Mirabelle is like has been adopted. And so Bibi loses a custody case. Whereas I feel like um, in Canada, they, you might go into more of like a, and maybe in the U S now, to be honest, I don't know. I am not, I, I'm not an expert obviously in this, but um, you might, the baby might go into a foster care system and until the parent is able to, you know, receive the help and recover, Um, you know, which in the book BB has done, she's recovered. um, She like has a stable job, stable income, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. All right, next question. Uh, what do you imagine happens with Izzy after the novel ends? Yeah, so what would you, if you had to write the next part of it, what would you, to be honest, I thought Mia and Pearl were going to pick her up. Yeah, so I feel like that's the the ultimate ending. It, or with, you know, if there was like a a part two, a sequel, I would like but to see. Did I like make that up in my head? Like, did it not happen? I don't think that happens. Oh, okay. Like, I don't. Why do I feel like that happened? I don't. Like know. She got in their car. I think she imagines herself oh, getting maybe in the car. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause I know Izzy, Izzy, I, I'm pretty sure in the book it's where she, um, she says like, Oh, even if they find me, I'll just run away again and I'll keep running away until they basically give up. Like she's like, she's pretty determined, I think to have left that, um, situation and Shaker Heights. And I, you know, I kind of feel for Izzy in the sense that like family, uh, sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't choose them <laughs> and, um, not everyone is friends with their family and, and not everyone gets along. And especially like living in this like perfect town of Shaker Heights where your, your grass can only be a certain height and every house can only be painted a certain color. And then your mom is like, tries to fit everyone into this like cookie cutter little life. So I feel, I, you know, I feel bad for that, her character. Uh, and I could see why she would want to break free. Um, it would be you know, the thing is, like, Izzy is so young, she couldn't just go away with Pearl and Mia because that's also would be kidnapping. Kidnapping, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it is a book after all. And so in reality, you're like, okay, well, that can't be true. And in reality, it's like, oh, I also, you know, it sucks that Izzy's considered a runaway. And, you know, like, what kind of life, do, like, where is Izzy going to go? Yeah. Right? Um, you all, you, I mean, ultimately, I think maybe it would, it'd be the best scenario if Izzy and Mrs. Richardson could work things out. Right. And uh, yeah. And they could, or, or like maybe after that, like big event happening, then Mrs. Richardson, like their family dynamic maybe would change. Right. But also what happens? So 
if the truth comes out about it's arson either way, right? So Mrs. Richardson's taking the fall. So she, I mean, because the fire chief was saying, you know, it was intentional. They they can tell these things. So someone's going to get in trouble. So it's like the book just ends, but like if it were to continue on, uh, it's not perfect. <laughs> someone's yeah. going to get in trouble for burning down the house. So, you know, I, I think it's fun to kind of think of like, oh, what would happen next? But I mean, Ultimately, like the, the book just kind of does end there and you, you don't know where it's going to go, but you can go in a million different places. But I think yeah. what's interesting, um, I don't want to give away, actually, I think we were going to talk maybe about some of the differences with the TV show, but I feel like maybe is that giving things away or is that, I don't know. Well, if someone read the book, like, alert. They, they, know the gi- <laughs> they know the gist of the TV show. I guess. <laughs> But some of the differences that I thought were really interesting were, uh, I, I think that it's great that um, Pearl and Mia's characters were played by um, two Black women. So I think that that is really, um, I think it really fit these characters. So in the book, uh, it's not explicitly stated, I don't think one way or the other, but it's, it's implied. I think that they're white in the book. Um, but I think that the way the characters were changed in the TV show was really relevant to what is happening in the world right now. So I think a lot of people were able to relate to that. Um, and it, it just was very fitting for the story. So I think that they did such a good job at that. Um, and um, some of the other changes that were interesting were just the change in, in Mrs. Richardson's character in terms of her relationship with Izzy. So in the TV show, she has this, um, she didn't really want Izzy. Izzy was uh, an accidental pregnancy and it was her fourth child. And she just, she was really exhausted after having the three and really close in age. And she just wanted to get back to work and, um, you know, and, and kind of, have a life outside of motherhood and she got pregnant and then Izzy was this colicky baby. So on top of, you know, uh, having three young children and maybe it being an unwanted pregnancy, it was uh, challenging. And so I think that part was really interesting because in the book, you don't really get that sense. It's, it's more, their disconnect is either related to the fact that I think Mrs. Richardson was scared of losing Izzy or it's not as explicitly explained. So I thought that was really well done in the TV show. Um, and then in terms of like the, the ending um, of the TV show, it's not Izzy who sets the house on fire, but instead it's Trip, um, Lexi and Moody who set the house on fire. So I thought like that was a huge change in the storyline um, because they're all basically like sick of everything that's happened, like whether it's what their mom did or just they're really angry at how um, kind of the events, like the recent events all folded out or fold out, played out, played out. And uh, they lit their house on fire, which is really a strange thing to do. But like in the book, Izzy lights the fires. Yeah. So, like, what's the point of changing that in the TV show? I think in the uh, in the book, it's more like Izzy's mad at everyone because she feels like everyone kind of used Pearl in some way. They took advantage of her. Um, and I think in the TV show, I got the sense more that it's like everyone feels like their mom took advantage 
And so, and they're just really, you know, mad at her. And maybe it's like, she tries to keep this perfect house. And so they burn. Yeah. Perfect house, perfect life. And now it's like all burns down. Yeah. Yeah. What a, you know, something that we didn't talk about, what something that I found so shocking in the book and so shocking in the TV show is when Lexi has an abortion and she uses Pearl's name and Pearl just lets her do it. So in the book, Pearl lets her do it. But in the TV show, Lexi does it without Pearl's permission. And Pearl Mm -hmm. still takes the fall for it. But it's like, you know, you get more of that sense of how uh, Pearl is really being taken advantage of. And also in the TV show, um, Lexi steals the letter to get into Princeton um, from Pearl. And in the book, um, Pearl writes it for her. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to create, in the TV show, it's almost like they're trying to create more of like a you know, like a con, like a, not predator, but like more yeah, like, like be, they're taking victimized. advantage of them. Yeah. Victimized. Yeah. 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 Um, is the dad, the guy from Dawson's Creek? Yes. Oh, okay. What's yeah. his name? I don't remember. Eh, doesn't matter. I think it's, can- is he Canadian? I think it's Isn't Canadian. it Joshua Jackson. Yes. Joshua Jackson. Yeah. I, is he Canadian? Uh, I don't know. Hmm. anyways it was i liked his character in i think his character was pretty he's an american canadian american actor um yeah i think his character played pretty true to the book and to the show next Hmm. question please no that was it that was all of the questions that we had picked that was all of our questions yeah we only picked to write down four or to read four Oh. Uh, we can ask. Well, do you have any closing thoughts? <laughs> um, so maybe we could just tell everybody that our November book is "Didn't See That Coming" by Rachel Hollis, and we were under the impression that everybody loved Rachel Hollis. Um, and I quickly learned after I posted about it that some people very much dislike her. <laughs> and so, well, I'm sure most of you watch my Instagram stories. If you're listening to this, um, I kind of been investigating, if you will, Rachel Hollis lately, um, trying to figure out why people dislike her so much. And it's not like people are just like, oh, I can take it or leave it. And like, no, like people hate her. Um, So we had the option to change the November book kind of last minute, but we decided to keep it. And we decided that it would make for a great podcast episode. um, And we can talk about, you know, this kind of divide between people who love her and then people who hate her and then people like me who are just like what the fuck's going on um I didn't have any feelings towards her at all so that should be a very interesting conversation and I think you know we'll still talk about the book a little bit but I think it's more so going to be about Rachel Hollis and you know why people dislike her so much and why people love her and our thoughts about all that stuff 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was same as you. Like I didn't, I don't necessarily think I thought people loved her, but I didn't know that there was so much disdain for her. And when this book popped up, I was like, Oh wow. Like I didn't even know she was writing another book and like, it's got good reviews. Like, like, you know, didn't really think anything of it. So um, I'm excited, like you said, to kind of dive into the the two sides of the story um, and reread parts of her other books, yeah, as well from a different, maybe from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it's good. Hopefully, people send in some good questions and some more thoughts. I I know you've already, like you said, you've already received a lot of thoughts from people, but yeah. I think maybe people have some specific questions. It'll be fun to answer. Totally. So we will continue our investigation and prep for that podcast episode. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening, and yeah talk to you next time.